Welcome to the Hole in the Head Moto Storytime Podcast. I'm Andy, and I have a lot of old motorcycles. Some people in my life might say too many, but each one has its own little story of how I found it and returned it to service, sometimes after years of neglect. This podcast recalls some of my adventures into the completely unnecessary pursuit of filling the garage with obsolete, loud, and smelly machines. Welcome to Hole in the Head. This episode is about a motorcycle that's had multiple lives, reincarnating a few times to bring joy to not just me, but to an entire community of riders and friends. It's the story of a small Yamaha two-stroke, a phoenix maybe, rising from a garage fire in Northern California to setting a land speed record on the Bonneville Salt Flats. However, this was a difficult episode. My friend and the bike's ultimate owner recently and very suddenly passed away. And that has given me a very different perspective on this otherwise unassuming unified Japanese machine, but really about the importance of avoiding regret. It turns out that life really is short, and no one is guaranteed anything. While those depressing cliches can be pretty inspirational, it's easy to forget and return to the stasis of passing time and putting off whatever until tomorrow or next year. But when we do that, sometimes life just happens, and those grand plans become dwindling priorities, or coulda, woulda, shouldas, and eventually regrets. And while my friend's death is heartbreaking, his role in this story is a comforting memory. It reminds me that bold action is the only surefire way to avoid any misgivings for what could have been. Because last year, bold action allowed my friend Eric to overcome fear and self-doubt to set a land speed record on his first trip to Bonneville. A victory that I shared from afar because I had not been so bold. But before we get into the story, a bit about the wheeled protagonist. A 1967 YDS-5. This 250cc twin evolved from the earlier YD versions via feedback from a new international market and more importantly after some grand pre-wins by its other Yamaha racer cousins. It had some pretty novel features at the time. An auto lube system that alleviated the need for pre-mixing gas and oil and a great big generator powering a soon-to-be standard 12-volt electrical system and a very convenient electric start. It's a fantastic little bike, and I've never seen another one out in the wild. So with that, I hope you enjoy this story of a unique bike and the guy that rode it flat out. This episode is dedicated to my friend Eric and his family. Here's Salted with Fire. Swap meets are the best, and apart from them or fishing, there aren't many things I'll get out of bed for before sunrise. But just as in fishing, getting up early really only feels like the right way to do it. If I recall, most of the fish I've ever caught were well after the sun started warming things up. And as you'll hear, I found one particular piece of swap meat gold way after the early birds had already left. One of California's redeeming qualities is its car and motorcycle culture. There are quite a few shows and swap meets, though most are an hour's drive or more from San Francisco. One of the closest was at an old drive-in theater in Sacramento, which was taken over by a helmet manufacturer a few years ago. I sold some things as a vendor at that meet one year, and it was full of these early birds. I was there way before dawn to get a good spot, and there were guys coming over with flashlights to get a peek at what I was unloading. For one of the spring shows, my frequent accomplice Alberto and I were going to go rummaging. One of us overslept, 
and then a coffee stop led to a potty break before we even started the two-hour drive. So when we rolled into Sacramento after 11 a.m., I didn't have much hope for the sale. In fact, vendors were already packing up as we sped through the dusty rows just to see what was left. I was a little surprised that it had ended so quickly, but one particular seller, who seemed to have brought everything he owned to the sale, had already loaded back up. He and his presumably more punctual partner were standing at the back of a lowboy trailer, piled with totes and tankless motorcycles. But there was a small, reddish motorcycle between them, and they didn't seem optimistic about being able to get it on the trailer with the rest. Apparently, they were leaving with more than they came with, and were now having trouble loading this little red monster. When one of them started pulling out the totes to try a different configuration, I could see the bike. It was an old two-stroke, but with a broken tank badge that said, Aha! and a torn sheet of notebook paper taped to the headlight. I didn't know anything about these early Japanese two-strokes, the weird ones in the 60s that predate the 70s triples and dirt bikes. They were mostly a mix of chrome tanks with rubber knee pads, but they had exciting names like Big Bear, Catalina, Samurai, and my favorite, The Hustler. All I knew was that the Red Aha was one of these early twins, and the notebook paper was a makeshift $200 price tag. One of us said something clever about them getting a good deal with that price, and the trailer owner said, Oh no, we're trying to sell it. Well, that warranted a closer look. At some point, a small fire had eaten away the rear half of the seat, and what foam remained was now singed in place. The flames had been contained quickly enough, though, but it still managed to bubble the tank paint and crack the glass on the giant gauge cluster mounted in the headlight. The engine kicked through, and when I put my hand over one of the open carburetors, I felt the intake suck at my fingers. The seller said it was a YDS-5, but that didn't mean much to me in that moment. I only knew it was a fairly complete little Yamaha that had an engine with compression, a great price, and a wicked backstory. I took a chance and offered him a lower price, just shy of being offensive. But he couldn't put his hand out fast enough and said, Sold. Let me get the title. By the time we loaded it into my van, the swap was just about empty. Still though, a successful trip, so we went to get hot dogs. I try not to characterize my vehicles with human traits, but it's funny how an inanimate object can seem to change its mood once you get it home. It's like the act of buying an old car or motorcycle that's been ignored for years and giving it another chance seems to lift its spirits, like it gets a little hope. I mean, I've brought home things that no matter what I did just didn't want to cooperate, but most of the time, with a little care in the form of a good cleaning or a squirt of anti-seize, even the saddest survivor will perk up a little with some long overdue maintenance. My new little YDS seemed pretty eager, though it would never quite get to its final form under my care. In fact, my track record with two-stroke engines in general is pretty spotty. I still have a Vespa around here somewhere that's eluded me for years. I know they are literally half as complex as a four-stroke motor, but I swear there has to be some kind of magic required to make them run well consistently. More likely, though, they just require some more discipline than I really possess. For those at home, a two-stroke engine is simpler because it doesn't typically use moving valves to control the intake and exhaust timing. Rather, as the piston rises, a fuel and oil mixture is aerated and sucked through the carburetor into the engine case itself. Most of the oil separates and lubricates the engine components, and on the piston's downstroke, the fuel is pulled into the cylinder from the engine, 
before being compressed and ignited on the upstroke, which has already pulled more fuel and oil into the case. Whereas a four-strokes strokes can be summed up with suck, squeeze, bang, blow, respectively, this YDS is more like bang, suck, squeeze, blow, suck, for its two. If you take nothing else away from all that reductive explanation, just know that they suck twice as much. Despite this simplicity, one half of my little twin refused to cooperate. I changed the fuel jets and the carburetors. I went through the electrical and ignition systems, but nothing would clear up the lopsided idle. Only at full throttle could I keep the engine alive, which I should have taken as a sign of my little phoenix's true motivations. The issue persisted, and while chasing down the misfire culprit, I made use of my work facilities. At the time, I had access to a massive shop that included just about every tool one could need for fabricating. I powder-coated the tank and body trim flat black, and then turned the once chrome side covers a contrasting gloss black, which was a fantastic decision. Everything else came back to life with a wire wheel polish, and with some updated handlebars, the little monster looked insanely cool. But looking cool won't get you home. I only managed a few rides around the block because the last possible cause of the limp was probably the crank seals, which would have been allowing air into the engine case, and I didn't have the time, space, or the gall to get that deep just yet. Without such a surgery, the YDS would just have to get comfortable until the stars were better aligned. The Yamaha became a fixture in the back of the shop, and eventually an albatross that I had to bring with me on the move to Seattle. By that time, though, my interests and collection of projects had evolved to comprise almost exclusively Italians, so I began to entertain the notion of letting it go, even going as far as taking pictures to list it, but ultimately, I just stuffed it to the back of the corner, because I thought the bike was so customized and niche that for the price I'd be able to get for it, I may as well keep it. Well, out of sight, out of mind, and eventually I came across a $500 Ducati ST2 that had a lengthy parts list, hence the $500. And on that list was a new set of mufflers. Local listings provided a lead in nearby Kirkland from a guy who had some other extra bits for his very similar ST4. Eric and I hit it off talking about our Ducatis, but it turned out we had a lot of overlapping interests and backgrounds, from sharing some distinctly middle American opinions on our adopted West Coast homes to knowing the same artist friends in Houston. Eric was a fantastic painter and ceramic artist. He was also incredibly grounded. That is, he used to be a wrestler. Not the long hair and makeup kind, but for real wrestling. I got the sense that if he planted, there was no moving him. Our friendship was a regular check-in on our ongoing projects. Both of our work situations had slowed, and we had some free time during the week to spend in the garage and send each other Craigslist ads. Before any moto event, we'd text each other, Are you going to wherever, and what are you riding? One day, somehow, the Bonneville Salt Flats came up in conversation. Apparently, there was an expansion in the American Motorcycle Association's record categories, and some of the classes geared towards smaller and older machines had not even been attempted. They were completely open. Just riding on the salt, forget setting a record, is on every garage mechanic's bucket list. But it's somewhere between exercise more and move to the south of France. You know, doable, but probably not this year. The Bonneville Speed Trials just seemed like something the pros did. I didn't really count in that community. I'm just lucky that my mechanical aptitude keeps a daily driver going. I mean, I'd be useless out there. But as we talked, the conversation evolved from wouldn't it be cool to what bike would you take? Neither of us had ever been to Bonneville, and we weren't even really sure how to go about planning it if we did decide to go. Anthony Hopkins's Burt Monroe taught me that you couldn't just show up with a bike, but beyond that, I had no idea. So we adjourned to our respective garages to have a think. But Eric had planted, 
and all he could think about were those open records. Spring brought another swap meet season, and as I headed to one of the few here in Seattle, Eric asked me to keep an eye out for a worthy Yamaha project, as he had become very keen to find a two-stroke twin, around 250 cc's, that could become his contender for Bonneville. It occurred to me that the stars were now shifting. I sent him one of the pictures I had taken of my YDS-5 with a text, like this? And before the weekend had ended, he was in my garage pulling the little phoenix from the corner. I could tell he was as excited as I had been when I bought it, and while I still wasn't entirely ready to part with my little lopsided monster, it seemed like this bike had been waiting for Eric all along, and really his plan was way cooler than anything I would ever do to it, so I happily sold it to him. He dove in with an enthusiasm so infectious, he quickly had me convinced to begin building a racer of my own. I chose my small single-cylinder Moto Guzzi to run in the 125cc pushrod class because why not? Throughout the next few weeks, we would trade updates on our progress, but our work was really cut out for us. Installing steering dampers and kill switches, getting registered, requesting race numbers, even finding leather suits. There was lots to do and even more to learn. The idea of going to Bonneville had grown on me, but while being out of work provided lots of free time, it also provided lots of uncertainty. For me, each week that passed without going back to work forced me to focus on building the race bike that much less. And Eric shared some of my reservations. We both considered canceling and trying again the following year, but only my resolve buckled. I backed out a few weeks before the event, but Eric rallied and kept going. I know I keep anthropomorphizing this motorcycle, but it did seem like the YDS had been waiting for Eric all along because the updates he sent me quickly became much more impressive. He went all in, and when he did, people showed up. There was porting and polishing and lightening and lowering and welding and stamping everywhere. New carbs, new seat, everything. A village of mechanics and Bonneville veterans had suddenly sprouted around him, and in August, Eric took his salt racer to set a record. Of course I was jealous, but really just admired my friend, and that had little to do with the record or even the motorcycle. In retrospect, my decision to back out may have had as much to do with fear and fortitude as it did with funding, because Eric made it happen in spite of any perceived limitations we may have had. It took a little money, but it wasn't prohibitively expensive. The real cost was in the time and the risk of failure in front of others. I do recognize that having the time, space, and or money to work on stupid motorcycles is a privilege, but waiting for the opportune moment to jump into a challenge is a waste of time. In all things, motorcycles are just a silly metaphor. Where else in my life am I missing out because of fear or procrastination? And that should be a much more persistent question, but it's easy to confuse fear of taking risk for being disciplined or responsible, because that's not always a fair assessment. Unfortunately though, only hindsight gives us a true view to things that we used to perceive as insurmountable and therefore not even worth attempting. Now, I'm not a Bible guy, so forgive me, but there is a verse in the book of Mark, while very romantic, is pretty fitting in the context of Bonneville. Everyone shall be salted with fire. Salt is good, but if salt becomes insipid, 
with what will you restore its flavor? Keep salt in yourselves, and you will have peace with one another. So if our trials and challenges are a fire, this suggests that those things give our lives flavor and character, and can even bring us closer to others. But when we rest on our laurels of old accomplishments and stop seeking new ones, complacency breeds, and our salt becomes insipid. When I found out Eric died, I was floored. All of us were. And as I began thinking backwards through our conversations over the last year, I realized how bold he really had been. Sure, he did the whole Bonneville thing, but he committed to his life. He was present for his family, from coaching his son to making his wife breakfast. He supported his friends, and he put his creativity on display. And those things aren't easy to do every day. But to have not would make for the most corrosive regret. And he was at least free of that. I know I didn't go through the whole Bonneville story, and I'll keep that for another time. But I will say there were some high highs and low lows. Literally, because Bonneville's altitude is often an issue. But on the last day Eric was at the flats, he sent me a picture of a little slip of paper documenting his top speed and new record for a 250cc modified classic gas motorcycle. 81.5 miles an hour. that is the truth. I want to thank Holly and Jason and Roger and David and Nick and Isaac and Pete and all the guys at Sodium Distortion for making this story what it is. I hope you enjoyed this episode and really the show so far. I've gotten a lot of great feedback and I really appreciate you taking the time to listen. Especially Badger Walt, Jim Sellen, and Monkey Dog. Minky Dog? Thanks for the reviews on iTunes. And remember, this show is about sharing stories and I'd love to hear yours. Email me, stories at holeintheheadmoto.com or holler at me on Instagram at holeintheheadmoto. The next episode is another special one. It's the first listener-submitted story. Be sure to subscribe to hear all the tall tales. You can also visit our website, holeintheheadmoto.com. I'm Andy. Thanks again. Thanks again.